Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to the book of Lamentations. Uh, the book of Lamentations. It is a book in the Bible. Um, it's right after the prophet Jeremiah, uh, so in the Old Testament. Um, and it's a book that often gets overlooked, but it's a book that is full of grief and emotion. A book that uh, talks about how uh, one individual processed the um, sacking of his city and his nation, taking all of it down pretty much to nothing, uh, going into captivity and, and processing all of that. And so it's, it's full of uh, grief, it's full of sorrow, it's full of questions. Um, and it's a book of the Bible that uh, God uh, gave to us to know um, what to do when things seem to be um, out of control, um, when things seem to be um, not making sense, uh, when things seem to be um, not right. And um, there are emotions that come uh, with grief and, and loss. Uh, and depending on the, the, um, the type of grief or loss, uh, emotions can be a very difficult thing. And so uh, we're actually jumping into to chapter 3. It's, it's actually rich, written in a, in a poetic style. It's a poem. Um, each chapter uh, has uh, 22 uh, sections here. Uh, chapter 3 has actually 66. Uh, but what the prophet is doing here, or the writer, or the scholars think it's Jeremiah, so we'll say it's Jeremiah. Um, what he's doing is he's processing all of this grief, uh, and he goes through each letter of the Hebrew alphabet and just just lays it out. Uh, so it'd be like if us processing through grief, we just start with A and we say, uh, in anguish over you name it, or betrayal leads to this. And so he's, he's laying that out. And oftentimes when we experience grief or loss, uh, it's, it's chaotic. We don't know uh, how to process it. So the writer kind of works it through the, uh, the alphabet there. And then we get to chapter 3, and chapter 3 is kind of like the center point of uh, the whole book. It's the, it's the center point. It has a double the amount of, of verses. It's got 66, uh, and he kind of changes his uh, style because it changes the content or the message. It goes from talking universally about being one of uh, the nation and goes to talking about himself personally, and it's the only, um, it's the only chapter, the only part of this uh, lament that brings hope, that offers hope. Uh, it's only found, hope is found four times in the book, and it's found right here in chapter three. Um, and so we're going to enjoy our time this morning, um, but we have to learn how we can have hope in the midst of grief and sorrow. Uh, we will experience grief and sorrow uh, at some level, um, uh, at, at some point in our life. And so God graciously gives us uh, what we'll find is a, a pattern, uh, something to do to be able to have hope in the midst of grief. Because when you're, when you're so low and when you're so uh, downtrodden um, with emotion over, over grief, over sorrow, um, you need something to pull you out. You need something to pull you out. And I was thinking about this, and, and again, this is not, this is just kind of my thoughts here. I was thinking about that all grief tends to, uh, to make its way back to sin. And what I mean by that is there's the general humankind uh, a sin of the world, uh, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and, and that caused uh, death, that caused disease, that caused the, the curse of the ground. And so there's this general element where we experience the sin of humankind. And then I think there's grief that we find or sorrow that we find when it comes to uh, the sin of others, whether someone has sinned against us and we experience that. 
Um, or we're walking through life with someone who is making sinful choices and is experiencing the hardship and the heartache and the grief that comes with that kind of sin. And then I think there's grief that comes with our own personal sin. Uh, when we get ourselves uh, into hot water, when we disobey, when we uh, turn away from the Lord, there's, there's consequences. And we experience that grief on, on a personal level. And so the answer to that, obviously, we'll find this morning is Jesus. And we sang about it. It was, it was interesting. Pastor Glenn is not feeling well. He's got COVID. And uh, we're working through. And I can see how God orchestrated this. And um, I was talking with a mentor. And we were talking about Lamentations 3. And then if you're in a community group, uh, Christy presented a little bit from Lamentations. And I'm sitting there on Tuesday reading this. I'm like, oh, man, I would really love to preach this. And then I got the call on Wednesday, and it's like, hey, you're going to preach. We need you to preach. And then I started lamenting ever since. Um, no, just kidding. Um, love, to, love to hear from God's Word. Um, and so God just orchestrated this, and I'm really excited to uh, share with you just kind of my insight on that. Um, but we can have hope in the midst of grief or in the midst of deep sorrow. And our passage is going to talk about that today. Well, I'm going to read chapter 3. I'm going to read all the way to our text here this morning, and then we'll really dive into chapter 21. But as I read, listen and feel um, the author's anguish and his sorrow. I am a man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old. He has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. He has walked with me so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I cry out for help, he shuts out my prayer. Have you been there when you think God has shut out your prayer? He has barred me with way of blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target of his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mocked me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and sated me with gall. He has broken my teeth with the gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I hoped for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness in the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Can you hear his emotion there? Can you sense his struggle? But yet, right in the middle of this, it's almost like he's walking one way, and all of a sudden he turns around. He switches his mind. And this is where we begin to see uh, what he tells us to do about hope. He says, yes, yet this I call to mind in contrast of what he's calling to mind about his circumstances and his trials. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. So what we need to learn is in the midst of our circumstances, we must remember God's character and not our circumstances. 
We must remember God's character and not our circumstances. You know this to be true. When you think about your situation, you can get bogged down by the grief, uh, by the uh, the, the weight of the emotion when we, when we think about that, whether it's we're going processing through the death of a loved one, where we're struggling with someone with a, a life-altering disease, we, we tend to think about it. We tend to dwell upon it. And what that does is that um, takes us and it spirals us. We think about, you know, what could we have done differently? Or, oh, if I just did something a little bit more, this wouldn't have happened. Or, or what if I spent more time with them? And we begin to wonder, And if we think about it long enough, if we dwell on it, we may become bitter. We may become angry. We may become um, angry and antagonistic against God. But yet this is what the author does. He said, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And what does he call to mind? What does he call to mind that brings him hope? Verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. So great is your faithfulness. Now picture the author. He's just, he's down in the pit. He is questioning God. He feels attacked. He's watching his nation uh, be downtrodden. You know, when when we think about um, the the Babylonians coming in and and sacking Jerusalem and invading, we we think maybe, at least I do, of the veggie tales where there are cucumbers marching in and they take the oranges and they they march them out and then they go to Babylon and it's just kind of weird and they give them new names. (laughs) But when you really think about it, what goes on, they're sieging the city, they're, they're slaying people. They're killing people. People are starving because they've cut off uh, their food supply. Uh, they're, they're wasting away. They're seeing their homes being destroyed, uh, being put to fire if they're not killed. They're being uh, pushed around by military and, and getting in line and, and, and le- being led off to some place where they have no idea where they're going or what's going to happen to them. You can imagine the, the grief and the anguish And so when he says, I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope, it says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. In the middle of grief and sorrow and and pain and agony, you kind of think that you may be consumed, don't you? It's just overwhelming. Earlier in the chapter, Jeremiah would say, it kind of got up to my neck and I felt that I was going to be consumed. Jeremiah was thrown in a pit, and so it's muck and mire, and it was probably up, up to his, his head. But we sometimes can feel that grief and sorrow can overwhelm us to the point of, of we cry out to God, I can't do, do it anymore. But what does he do? He remembers God's character. He remembers the Lord's great love. Maybe your translations say loving kindnesses. The word is actually there. It's referring to God's steadfast love and his covenant love with his people. His covenant love with his people saying that, hey, he's always going to hold up his end of the bargain, but if you don't, he still loves you. It's that commitment. It's that, it's that loving kindnesses. And so in the midst of his grief, in the midst of his pain, he thinks about the loving kindness and the faithfulness of the Lord. Lord. 
He says, therefore I have hope. And then he says, for his compassions never fail. When we remember the Lord's faithfulness, we remember that his compassions never fail. It's plural there. Multiple compassions. Not just one. Multiple. It's the Lord is uh, uh, rich in mercy and he's uh, abundant in that. His compassions, they, they never fail. God is always loving and kind and they never fail. He says that they're new every morning. Sometimes we're in the middle of grief and in the middle of sorrow. Sometimes we just like, I just can't wait to lay my head down on the pillow because I want this day to be over. And here's the hope that in the morning, we've got new mercies. New mercies. Some of your translations may say mercies. We sang about mercy today. That was one of those God things where it was like, we're talking about mercies, and then I look in the, uh, our planning software, and there's two songs about mercy. Let me just quickly explain grief. I mean, not grief, but uh, grace and mercy. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. It's a simple definition. Not, and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And here it's not necessarily talking about God's grace shown to us, but it's talking about God's mercies or his, his compassions when we don't deserve them. Again, it's in the context of uh, the author is mourning uh, the sin of Israel. So even when we're, we're in sin or we're experiencing the grief uh, of others people's sins or even just the general humanity's sin, his mercies, his not getting what we deserve are new every morning. In Jeremiah, he recalls them to mind. Sometimes we need to remember the mercies of God to get us through our circumstances. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions, they never fail. They are new every morning. And it says, great is your faithfulness. Going back to God's character of faithfulness. His love, so great is your faithfulness. And he says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Sometimes grief takes away all that we think we have. And the author is reminding us, the Lord is my portion. When nothing else is there, God is. He is my portion. He says, therefore I will wait for him. I will wait for him. And it's not a passive waiting, it's a, it's a waiting uh, with anticipation. It's hard to wait, isn't it? In general. You know, we go to McDonald's and it's like, man, 30 seconds and they're still waiting on my hamburger, right? Or we go to the internet, it's not loading. It's like, ah, we're not really patient people. But he says, I will wait for him. I will wait eagerly for him. He goes on in verse 25, the Lord is good to those who hope, whose hope is in him the one who seeks him. And then it goes through, and this would be like the G. If we were to describe this, it would be the G. So all these you can see, it is good, it is good, it is good, right? It says, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear this yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may be hope. Let him offer his cheek to the one who would strike him and let him be filled with disgrace. He's saying it's good to wait quietly. It's hard to wait 
period. It's hard to wait quietly in our culture and day and age when there's so much going on, especially if we're in the middle of grief and sorrow. It just seems like stuff is at us all the time, but he says, wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Wait eagerly expecting the Lord. It says it's good for a man to bear this yoke while he's on. It's good for a man to know this and to go through this process and to um, be grieved and to see the faithfulness of the Lord to give him hope while he is young because like people who are older say, it doesn't get any easier when you're older, right? It may actually even get harder. And so he recalls God's character not his circumstances. He remembers God's faithfulness, especially his compassions and his mercies. You may be thinking right now of the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, right? The author of Great is Thy Faithfulness was Thomas Chisholm, and he uh, was a very sick man. He didn't make a lot of money because he couldn't work because of his illness, and he, not, he wrote this not out of a, a moment of grief or sorrow, but on a lifetime of grief and struggle. And he would remember the faithfulness of the God, and that's where this passage, this song is from. So how can we remember the faithfulness of God? How can we remember the Lord's mercies? We've got to get into God's Word. This book contains all we need for life and godliness. It contains God's faithfulness. Sometimes when we're in the midst of grief or the struggle, we can't even read. We, can't even, we feel like we can't even read God's word. We can't even go to God because we're just so downtrodden. And that's why there's the Bible app that reads it for you. And that's why there is uh, the preaching of God's word. I remember when I was struggling with sin and was downcast, I wasn't going to the Bible, but I knew I needed it, so I typed on YouTube sermon jams and listened to preachers preach the Bible because I just feel like I, I couldn't read it myself. But this contains the history of God's faithfulness from generation to generation. So we must go to it. We must let it uh, heal our wounds, correct our ways. We can also celebrate and remember in community. Sometimes the Lord is faithful to others so that we can remember His faithfulness in their lives in the midst of our own trials and our own sufferings. We have uh, the beautiful family of God that allows people to go through maybe what we're going through and have come out the other side because they have found their hope in God. We can come alongside and, and say, let me, let me give you an example of God's faithfulness in my life and God's mercy to me. And then the third thing you can do is to keep record of God's faithfulness to you because God is faithful to you. And it's in sometimes in those moments where we're so caught up in our sorrow or the grief or our own sin or the sins of others or just sin in general that it's hard to remember God's faithfulness to us before it. And so I have this little journal here. Uh, it's called God Sightings. And in it, I just write down 
all of the, of the, the moments that God has been faithful to me. So when it's so hard, when I'm, I'm surrounded by my circumstances, I can, I can pull this out and remember his faithfulness, remember his mercies in my life. We also have this thing, it's called a blessing box. When we got married, we, we got it. And so we could keep all of the, the faithfulness of the Lord um, to, as reminders for us so that when we uh, are in the midst of grief and sorrow and struggle, it's an easy way that we can come back and remember God's faithfulness because we so often forget, but we need to remember God's character. I was thinking about mercies, thinking about God's faithfulness and I began thinking about probably the biggest example of God's faithfulness and God's mercy to us is the death of his son. Talk about not getting what we deserve, right? Christ um, came and lived a sinless and perfect life. He endured suffering. He endured hardship. He endured grief. And then he went to the cross to endure the payment and the punishment for our sin so that we wouldn't have to. And then he died, defeated death, was raised again in three days, and now is in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, waiting to call his people home where we would be with him forever. Because when we think about God's mercy, when we think about God's mercy in our salvation, we realize that we are not getting what we do deserve. And I want to be very careful, and I, and I empathize with, with grief after experiencing it. But remembering our standing before the Lord is the most important thing we can do. It's the most important thing that we do. It's, it's the basis for our hope. Christ alone in him we stand. And we remember his faithfulness to us because of his covenant love. That no matter what we have done, God is keeping his end of the covenant with Israel and the new one with us. That he loves us despite us and sent his son to be our sin punishment for us. That's the love of the Lord. That's the faithfulness that we need to remember. It's the gospel. It's, it's the hope that everyone has who has placed their faith in Jesus that no matter what our circumstances may be going through, the fact that we will be eternally in heaven with God and not separated from him is a big mercy because he is rich in love. And this, the, the writer recalls this and he says, this is where I have hope. He remembers that. And not just we remember our salvation, but remember all the little mercies. You call them little. They're probably not little. But getting up in the morning is a mercy. Having a warm house is a mercy. Having a warm church is a mercy. And if we recall all of the mercies that God gives us that we know that we don't deserve, but sometimes we think we do deserve them, and that's the catch. Sometimes we get trapped and we think, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve what, what, what God is doing to me. And it's almost just like, it's like, no, you don't. You actually deserve worse. But I met you in your worseness. 
and I provided you hope because of the Lord's loving kindnesses and his mercies are new every morning. And the best thing about our salvation is that it's the gift that keeps on giving, right? Yeah, it just keeps going and we can remember that and we can keep experiencing the mercies of God. And so when we are overwhelmed with grief, when we are overwhelmed in sorrow, we must remember God's character and his covenant love for us. That his mercies are new every morning and his compassions never cease or they fail not. They keep on going. And so in the midst of our grief and our struggle, we must remember the Lord's character and his faithfulness. And why do we need to do that? Because the, God's mercy is the hope of every Christian. It is our, our cornerstone, Christ alone. In him we stand. The message of the gospel is one of mercy, that we are not getting what we do deserve and that no matter what God allows our way, whether it's the sin of the world, whether it's the sin of others, whether it's our own sin, the hope is that God has given us mercy and it is new and afresh and his love never fails. We live in a society where hope is not a commodity. But as believers, we have that opportunity to live the truth of God's character and his love for us in a way that, yes, we grieve, but we grieve as, though, as those who have hope. And so we can be that light to a, a hopeless world where we can, can walk through grief and on the other end of that walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because God is with me. His staff comforts me. Another mercy that we get because of God's love for us is not only of the gift of himself, but the gift of his spirit. God's spirit resides within us. The Spirit, he says, another name for him is the Comforter. He comforts us in our times of weakness, that we have God's presence with us, enduring and going through whatever hardship we have. So when we think that God has abandoned us or we think that God is out to get us, we know that that is not true, that God is with us. I want to call to attention one more last thing from verses um, 31. For men are not cast off by the Lord forever. Amen. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. He will show his love. So great is his unfailing love. And here we, here we have this insight into the, the heart of God. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. The word there, not willing, could be translated, more accurately translated, for he does not, from his heart, from who he is, does not bring grief or affliction to anyone. It's very hard in those moments to think that God is out to get us. But the prophet reminds himself that that's not God's heart. God's heart for us is not to afflict us or to cause us grief. His heart for us is to show him himself primarily, but to love us. 
for his glory. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, says this about grief. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God uses grief and pain and sin to show us himself. And he ultimately did that. His megaphone really was the cross. And so when, it's, when we need to sit and wait quietly for the Lord, we, we remember the love and salvation that he's given to us. The gospel is the message that brings hope to all who are in desperate need. And you may be here and you may be struggling with the loss of a loved one. You may be struggling with uh, uh, a life-altering illness. You may be walking through that with someone who is struggling. You may be struggling with individual sin that just has overcome you or the sin of others. And I want you to hear today, God wants you to hear today, the author of Lamentations wants you to hear today that when you call God's love and faithfulness to you to mind, you will have hope. Can you imagine the testimony of just yourself to a watching world? It's one of those things that when suffering or hardship comes through, it seems like everybody's watching. Everybody's watching you. Both believers and unbelievers. Can you just imagine if those people are just are, watch you go through this process, watch you cry out to the Lord, watch you have hope in the midst of terrible pain and loss, what, what kind of curiosity that would stir in their life? What kind of um, questions that it would, would stir in their life? And the opportunities that you have to not sugarcoat the fact of grief and sorrow, but to be honest and to, to walk through and say, the only way I got through it was the Lord and his love for me. Or can you imagine if our church was characterized by this type of hope? And that this hope uh, would shine brightly into a dark Clark summit. Because we're all going to experience it. We're all going to walk through it. But if we could be a people characterized by hope, so that when we enter into grief and sin and sorrow, that it does not consume us because of the Lord's great love. And just imagine what, what, what God could do there. But first we have to imagine what God could do in our own lives. And so if you're here today and you do not know Jesus, if you do not have that hope that brings comfort and relief in the midst of grief, I would encourage you today to think about God's character and the loving kindness that he showed to you through the death of his son. Like Mitch said, we may think that we can earn it on our own, but the Bible is pretty clear that the only thing that we can earn is uh, what our sins deserve. And if you are a fellow Christian struggling with grief, remember God's character and his promises. Remember, take a look back on God's faithfulness to you over your lifetime, his faithfulness to you even today. And then for those of us who aren't in the midst of grief, 
maybe who have come out on the other side or have not yet gone through that. We can mourn with those who mourn. We can come alongside them and encourage them. But then when that, if God chooses to uh, bring that a part of our life, we can remember and have hope in the midst of grief. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning to thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that your word is true, it is reliable, it is accurate, and it is real and honest, knowing that we will go through times of sorrow and times of grief. So thank you for using this um, in the life of the prophet Jeremiah and through the nation of Israel to, to bring them back to you. Lord, thank you for the encouragement that it is us today that we can remember your character. And Lord, we, we confess it is so easy to not remember you when we're in the middle of grief, we're in the middle of sorrow, when we're in the middle of sin. So I ask that you would bring to mind, that you would help us call to mind your character and that when we, when we think about your, your mercies and your kindnesses to us, that they would just overwhelm us like a dam that has been destroyed and the mercies are coming and washing over us. Lord, help us to be a community that bears the weight and the grief for our fellow family members. Lord, let us come alongside of them as, as, we are, as this body does so well at doing. Continue to encourage us to do that, to uphold them through prayer. Lord, we think of people who have lost loved ones recently. We think of the Jacobs and the Wellmans. And Lord, in, in a, a group this size, the amount of grief and sorrow that's been experienced is, could be overwhelming. But Lord, we know that you see. We know that you hear. And we know that your desire is to show your love to everyone here this morning. So I'd ask that you would do that. I'd ask that you would use your Holy Spirit, which is a mercy that you've given to us that we don't deserve. To use your word, which is a mercy that you've given to us that we don't deserve. And so that we can call to mind you and have hope in the midst of our grief. Lord, thank you so much for your son, Jesus. Oh, we love him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.